church. You guys doing all right? What an awesome time to gather and worship. My name is Carlo. I get to be the teaching pastor here at OneChurch.tv, and we are continuing our How to Be a Hero series. We started it just a few days ago on Sunday, and so we're going to talk uh, part two of that series. Uh, like Justin said, the worship set, obviously, you don't want to miss uh, part three. I would give you some spoilers, but I don't want you to know what happens the rest of the story. You've got to show up Sunday uh, to hear the rest of that. But we're excited, glad that you are here with me. You know, uh, it's kind of awkward, to be honest, to talk about heroes on a day that focuses on death, a day that focuses on uh, the painful and, and horrible death of Jesus, a day that really celebrates pain and suffering, and that seems a little bit odd. But when you think about our heroes, the people we admire, superheroes, um, military heroes, most of them are heroes because they walked through some suffering and they walked through some pain. Think about your favorite superhero, someone like Batman, you know, he's not Batman without great loss, right? If you're familiar with the story, uh, if you're not, welcome to the United States of America. We have a guy named Batman, his parents were murdered in front of him and he became a vigilante. Has no real superpowers, but he gets to hang with people who have superpowers. But went through dark, that's it. Went through uh, dark times, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering to become that way. I think, obviously, in our context, being so close to the military, we hear all the time about people being awarded medals for valor. And our highest medal we give in our country, the Congressional Medal of Honor, comes at a great price. Usually, if you read the citation of what someone uh, does to earn that award, it actually involves giving the greatest sacrifice. That is their life. Um, but some of them, it, either way, our heroes go through pain, our heroes go through suffering. And so I guess it's really not that awkward then uh, in this series to be talking about heroes on Good Friday. Because being a hero usually comes at a price, a great price. And suffering is just one of those realities of our life that's terrible. Suffering sucks. Can I say that? I said it. Too late. I already said it. Suffering sucks, but it's our reality, right? I got one amen. I'm glad you're here. It really does stink. When we think about pain and suffering and evil, we think about uh, the people associated with it, people like Adolf Hitler and people like Saddam Hussein and people like Osama bin Laden, and we see those images, and instantly we connect it with the worst of the worst, pain and suffering and hurting and, and just all of the terrible things and terrible problems that happen in our, in our life, we connect it with that. And there's all kinds of solutions out there to the problem of evil, to the problem of suffering. One solution is we could just stick our head in the sand and act like it doesn't exist. We could just act like it's not a real thing, like it's not a real concept. But you and I know, based on how your day was today, I'm pretty sure there was some suffering involved. There was some pain involved. Obviously, you, you no know, amount of positive thinking is going to do away with the reality that uh, the world can be bad, and the world can be dark, and there's going to be pain, and there's going to be hurting. Another solution is to rationalize evil as, as if all evil, all suffering is a part of God's ultimate plan. And, and that sounds smart to say, but when you read the Bible, that's really dumb to think because the Bible clearly tells us some of the things that come from God, some of the things that don't come from God. Really what we know from scripture is that no matter what it is, he's God and he's big and he's able to see us through it and he's able to turn that junk into something good. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all of that bad comes from him. In fact, we know that this evil doesn't really come from him one a, a third solution to evil and suffering is to blame god outright to simply say if god were all powerful 
then he would have the power to free us forever from suffering, to free us forever from pain. Have you heard that before? Basically, if God would, he could, and since he doesn't, he can't. And it's this logical trail we go down to. But we know that's obviously our own doing and our own twisting and and trying to make things fit into our mold and our way of understanding. The problem of evil in the world is not really our problem. It's God's. It, it, I think that's the easiest solution. The easiest way to handle the suffering and the pain that we see happening all around us is to understand that ultimately that's not my problem. So what's so good about this Friday that it's this day we commemorate God taking care of the problem? God showing up and entering into suffering and entering into pain and taking care of the problem. The reality is that there's only one solution to evil and that's God's solution. It starts with this day. It starts with Good Friday. It starts with a situation that looks like God is losing. A situation that if you just look at it, one quick snapshot, it looks like all is lost and that God has lost. It's been said before that before God could use you greatly, he has to wound you deeply. And man, that's a I don't like saying that out loud, but man, it's, it's a powerful truth when you think about things like Good Friday, when you think about the way we live our life and what we go through. Some people would have you think that we say yes to Jesus and it's all roses and everything is fine, but that's not what Jesus said. I don't know about you. I want to live my life according to what he said. And he said, when we say yes to him, get ready because with it is going to come this suffering. It's going to come this pain. Consider in the Bible people like Moses, Joseph, Paul, the prophets, all of these people who did great things and God did great things in them and great things through them, they all really suffered. They all really struggled. And, and even when you think about all those people, the, the real truth is that there's no measure of suffering, no measure of pain that compares, that anyone has ever dealt with that compares to what Jesus went through on the cross for us. No measure of suffering, no measure of pain would ever endure that would compare that how about you where are you at right now in your life what's the worst trial the worst suffering you've ever endured the worst thing you've ever been through in your life take your mind there for a little bit the worst pain the loss of a child i've lost children the loss of a loved one loss of of hope losing everything relationships being broken that terrible terrible pain that you've gone through maybe fighting an illness. I'm sure every single one of us has endured some type of suffering. And when we suffer, when we're face to face with evil like that, it's really easy to conclude that God is absent. That God is not there. Have you been there? Left in the dust? Everything just beating you up one step forward, seven steps back. Every time you try to do the right thing, wrong just pours more and more and more into your life. I don't know about you, but I know I can definitely relate to that and the truth is life has a tendency to just do that to us over and over and over and over again we think things like no one understands god is not with me god doesn't hear me god doesn't see me i know in 2003 i went through a really bad trial and and thought to myself where is god my heart knew that god was with me but my head just struggled over and over and over and over again all the time thank you my brother hot up here these, these are different lights than the Sunday lights. St. Luther, thank you. 
he really only cares about the camera shot, guys. He's not that. He's he's not that Christian. Tri- I'm just playing. We can edit that out, right? It's it's Good Friday. It's all good. I love you, man. I love you. Speaking of suffering, uh, no. 2003, I went through a really hard trial. Uh, like many of you, went to war, left my family behind, and I lost twin daughters. Twin daughters passed away in that same season. And it was a hard, hard time for me. And my, my heart said, where is God? My head, it, just, it was this struggle, constant chaos that I went through. When you suffer, not only is it easy to conclude God's absent, it's easy to conclude that God is losing. It's really easy to take your mind to a place where you think, you know what, God is losing. But here's an awesome truth. The most profound answer to suffering and evil is not that God avoided it, but that God entered into it. That's the solution. It's not that God avoided it. He actually entered into it. So tonight we're going to wrestle with one thought, and I want you to wrestle with one thought. How would you have felt if you were standing at the foot of the cross on Good Friday? How would you have felt? Take yourself there. If you were standing there and you really believed that Jesus was God, you'd followed him for three years, you saw him do miracles, you heard what he taught, you bought in, you drank the Kool-Aid, whatever it is, you were just convinced this guy is it. And three years later, three and a half years later, there you are standing at the foot of the cross while he's bleeding to death, flesh hanging off of his bones, everyone mocking and jeering. How would you have felt? I know it would have crushed me. It would have wrecked my theology really quick. So if you ever find yourself in a season of suffering, this is a good exercise even for you to go through. How would I have felt in that moment? So we're going to look at this story in Matthew 27 that I think really helps us uh, walk through this process of taking us there. And the whole time we're reading these scriptures, I want you to put yourself in this story. I want you to put yourself right there. And let's see what the Bible says to us. Matthew 27, I'm going to start reading in verse 32. It says, Along the way came a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. So this is outside of the city. He's, Jesus has already been beaten. He's carrying his cross. Maybe you're familiar with the imagery. Verse 34, The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. So this crucifixion was painful and bloody like all Roman crucifixions. The Romans uh, created and helped innovate this most painful, torturous way to die ever. Simply put, the person died of suffocation. They drowned while nailed to a tree because they needed to push up with their feet in order to breathe the way that their lungs were stretched out the only way to make their diaphragm work make their lungs work was to use their legs so because of dehydration and fatigue the legs would eventually get tired and then the person couldn't push themselves up to breathe anymore and then they would slowly drown hanging there if they didn't bleed to death first if they didn't die on the way if the birds didn't just start eating them alive you you get the picture terrible painful death but this one that jesus went through was worse because before they started crucifying him they beat him really really bad really really bad really bloody just the beating that he took would have killed most people so by the time he gets to this place uh where he has this exchange with simon and and trades and simon carries the cross he's already severely severely dehydrated He's lost lots of blood. He's dealing with cranial hemorrhaging from the crown of thorns that was beaten into his head. 
not placed nice, beaten into his head. And someone offers him something to drink, and he tastes it and says, no. That is embracing suffering. That is walking in to suffering. Keep reading, verse 35. After they nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. And a sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing this charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 39, The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. How would you have felt if you were witnessing this? If you'd followed Jesus all these years and now he's up there dying like some common criminal. If you were one of the ones Jesus performed a great miracle for and now he's up there and these everyday people are cussing at him, yelling at him, mocking him, twisting his words, making him look like a fool. How would you feel if God didn't act the way you thought God should act? That's exactly what it felt like to be there. You said you were the son of God. Prove it. Verse 41. The leading priest, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. How would you feel witnessing the religious and the political leaders of the day make a mockery of the person you committed your life to? How would you feel if just everyday criminal type people were there spitting in the face of the one who saved your life? I bet you would feel like all is lost. Like God is losing. Where are you? I bet if we're really honest, we might be tempted to join them and say, you know what? They're right. You did say you were the son of God. You did say you were going to do all these great things. Why aren't you, God, doing what you said you would do? It's very easy to slip into that way, feeling like all is hopeless, feeling like, you know what? Following Jesus didn't seem like it worked out. It seemed like God was losing on Good Friday. Verse 45. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. And about three, at, at about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemek Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? My God, my God, why am I all alone? Have you been there? Have you felt that? Alone. In the middle of the pain. Surrounded by people. Surrounded by other humans. In this instance, Jesus is actually surrounded by two other people dying the very same death he is. But here's the thing with suffering and evil. When we're in it, it feels like we're the only ones in it. 
I love what the New Testament tells us that we don't have a Savior who's not able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he's suffered and been tempted in every way, just like we were, yet he was without sin. Hebrews tells us that. And this is a perfect image of Jesus suffering in every way, just like we have. What an awesome answer to the problem of evil, of God not avoiding it, but entering into it. How would you have felt at the foot of the cross looking up at Jesus? watching this man who prayed and did miraculous things and now he's up there crying out to God maybe you're John the apostle who was there at the foot of the cross and you were there on Galilee when someone walked on the water out to you and you thought it was a ghost and it was Jesus and he said stop you're crying it's me relax you were on that boat and it was a storm and Jesus was asleep in the middle of the storm and you're freaking out and he wakes up and tells the winds and the waves shut up and then he goes back to sleep and that God now is dying in front of you how would you have felt how would it feel verse 47 some of the bystanders misunderstood when he called out Eli Eli in Aramaic they misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah one of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine holding it up to him on a reed stick so to see if he could drink but the rest said wait let's see whether Elijah comes and saves him how would you felt if you thought this was more than a man for three years you followed him you thought he was more than a man and yet here he is reduced to a bloody pulp not even able or willing to drink from a sponge on good Friday everyone thought God was losing everyone but let's look at where the story ends verse 50 then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit now I would have concluded that that was it it's all over end of the story what a nice run and a lot of historians that is what they want to do is end the story right there verse 50 good teacher lived the life arrested and died and that's the end of the story everything over check please if you're the apostles, well, that was a fun three years. Let's go back to the fishing hole. In fact, that's what some of them did. guess we're going to go back to those jobs we left. Some of them wondered, what do we do now? But when everyone thought God was losing, God was winning. When everyone thought God was losing, up until verse 50, it seems like all is lost. It seems like God is losing. But that's not where the story ends. Check this out in verse 51 at that moment that's very important very important to understand what's happening here he breathes out his last and at that moment the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the earth shook rocks split apart what does that have to do with anything well the hebrew system of worship that god established for his people required that they create a space for his presence to dwell and it was in that place where his presence dwelled that once a year a high priest could come in and sprinkle some blood on this ark on this device that was made to represent heaven to represent where god can dwell and that would appease for one more year and it was a system just a placeholder it would never be enough and so this this curtain this veil in the temple is what separated the already other portions of the temple from this most sacred place in fact they call it the holy of holies the most holy place this temple this curtain represented that so at the very moment jesus breathes his last that curtain tears 
from top to bottom. Fascinating. Now, historically, if you just look at the archaeological evidence and read what the scripture says, what's really wild about that is even though that curtain tore in two, there wasn't really an Ark of the Covenant there because the Babylonians had taken that long before this temple. They'd stolen it. So this is a perfect symbolism of the people of Israel doing their best to get to God on their own. And they didn't even realize the system had already been broken. They didn't realize that God's plan was already in place, that what you're doing is never going to work. It's ne- you're never going to be able to get to God on your own. You're never going to be able to do enough ceremony. You're never going to be able to earn it. And at that moment, verse 51, Jesus breathes his last, and that temple, tear, that, that, the, the sanctuary curtain there tears in two from top to bottom. And at the moment of Jesus' death, God, once and for all, kills the system that didn't work. Once and for all, God begins this awesome new plan. Here's the new way. You're going to have access to me. Direct access to God. No more priests. No more sacrifices. No more ceremony. No more trying to figure it out on your own. When Jesus dies, immediately that thing tears in two. And it's like God's telling the whole world, a new day is about to come. Something new has happened. Everything Changes. It looked like God was losing, but on Good Friday, the death of Jesus destroyed the system that up until that point had kept us separated from God. Verse 52, the tombs opened, the bodies of many godly men and women who died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. So not only was the temple torn in two, like dead folks came back to life. That's wild. That's just a taste of this resurrection power that now comes because of the death of Jesus. But you've got to come on Sunday to hear about that stuff. We're not here to talk about that just yet. Verse 54, the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were what? Terrified by the earthquake and all that happened. And they said, this man truly was the son of God. Talk about flip-flopping talk about complete reversal the very people responsible for his death think about this as one church a church for unchurched people think about the powerful truth that in this whole story of jesus dying on good friday the three people we know i'm saying three it might have been more than that but the two types of people that we see be the first ones to confess who he really was a thief on the cross who said hey when you get into your kingdom Here's my cell phone number, right? Remember me. He didn't say cell phone. Relax. Remember me. So this criminal outcast says, hey, Jesus, I think there's something to you. Remember me. And the Romans who killed him were the ones who said, surely this must be the son of God. So even at the death, even at the death of Jesus, we see God saying, we're not going to make it difficult for people to come. It's, it's that easy, believing in who he is. How would you have felt at the foot of the cross on Good Friday? When everyone thought that God was losing, God was winning. That is the plot twist in the story. That's the plot twist. That's the spoiler alert. 
we know that it looks like all is lost. So let me just ask you plain, plain and simple. You know that's true about this story of Jesus. If you're brand new to the church and this is your first time experiencing a church type thing, we've already given you enough of the spoilers. It doesn't end on this day. So all of us here have some kind of knowledge that the death and the suffering and the pain wasn't the end of that. We get that when it comes to salvation. We get that when it comes to following Jesus in this initial first step of saying yes to him. What we have to do is get it in every single area of our lives. Pain has a purpose. You touch a hot stove and you're going to get burned. It's your body's, your fearfully and wonderfully made body's way of saying stupid. Stop touching hot stuff. It hurts. That's exactly why it does it. In most areas of life, we get that. Yet somewhere along the line, we bump our head and think, life is not going to be like that once I say yes to Jesus. When I look at the scripture, I see Jesus telling his followers, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. You've got to deny yourself. He says, get your mind right, because the day is going to come where they're going to arrest you, they're going to beat you, they're going to persecute you, you're going to be killed even for my sake. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So how do we handle suffering when it feels like God's losing? How do we handle suffering when it feels like we are losing? Well, we need to embrace suffering, just like we talked about Sunday. Embracing the drama, that's kind of minor league stuff. Suffering, major league. Major league drama, that's how you can fix that in your mind if you don't understand the difference. If you really don't understand the difference between drama and suffering, we'll go into my office afterwards and I'm going to yell at you and then I'm going to put my hands on you and then you'll really know real quick what's the difference between drama and suffering. Huge difference, right? Face the fact that suffering is a part of reality. And just like the drama that we know God is working in, we know that through this suffering, the God of all grace, after we've suffered a little while, is going to restore us. He's going to establish us. He's going to strengthen us. And then never lose hope. Embrace suffering and never lose hope. Never give up. During the Vietnam War, multiple uh, American soldiers were taken captive as POWs. You're well aware of this. They were, they were tortured for, some of them as, as long as eight years, tortured, beaten, starved. It's, it's a miracle that, that so many actually survived that type of treatment back then and maybe you can understand that kind of suffering I can't understand eight straight years of that type of torture and misery and what psychologists and sociologists and, and, and researchers have discovered is that the POWs who died usually the fastest were the ones who had, they were unrealistic optimists basically they just thought, oh yeah today's going to be the day we're going to get freed we're going to get freed nothing bad's going to happen and they basically had this false hope this false motivation and the day of salvation didn't come for them and they lost hope faster the guys who survived were the ones who every day embraced the reality that today i could get beaten today another beating is going to come today there's going to be suffering they embraced it they just every day they willed themselves that today is going to be the worst day of my life but tomorrow, I might get rescued. So they embraced suffering, and they never lost hope. Isn't that fascinating? Every day they said, today could be the worst day of my life, but you know what? It might not be. Because tomorrow's going to come. And tomorrow, my salvation, my saving may come. And they survived. The most profound answer to suffering is not that God avoided it. 
but that God entered into it. And the most profound thing about Good Friday is that when everyone thought God was losing, God was winning. I want to challenge you, one church, don't let this day of days be just a traditional, this is what we do two days before Easter, gather and sing some songs and watch the Passion of the Christ and get the feel-goods and then go back to living your life. This is a game-changing day for us because this is the turning point in how we access God. We celebrate the suffering of Jesus because we know that is God's plan for us. That when we suffer like him, we have this great promise that we're going to be raised like him. And we're going to glorify, be glorified just like him. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with relationally or spiritually. But I just want to ask you two final questions. Think about where you are right now. Remember when I first started to think about the worst thing you've ever been through? Think about that pain and suffering. Right now, I just want you to think about what's the suffering in your life? What's the one thing you'd say, God, please take this away. I can't bear it anymore. Where are you suffering the most? And then let me just ask you these two questions. Number one, what if you're not really losing? What if you're not really losing? It feels like that right now. It feels like hope is lost. But what if you're not really losing. Second question, what if God is really winning in your situation? You can't see it yet. You can't feel it yet. But what if God is actually winning? You might have walked in here thinking it's over. You might have walked in here thinking there's no hope for me or for this situation. You might have walked in here thinking I have lost. But here's the truth. No, you haven't. As long as you have breath, there's hope for you in Jesus. As long as you're alive, there's hope for you in Jesus. As long as you can, can, can blink, there's hope for you in Jesus. This side of death, are you getting it? Some of you aren't picking up what I'm putting down. This side of death, we have hope. We have hope. We're never alone. So, we're going to celebrate communion tonight. And as we do that, I want you to think about how you would have felt at the foot of the cross. And I want you to remember that through this victory Jesus won on the cross, that that means wins for you and me too. That means we trust him with our suffering. The fascinating thing about communion is it really is a celebration of death the Bible says when we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. We say, amen, God, for killing Jesus. We say, thank you, God, for the veil being torn. Thank you for fixing what we couldn't fix on our own. What a powerful truth. Tonight, this night, doesn't have to be just a normal moment for you. Some of you sang with your hands held high for the first time in a long time. Some of you worshiped like you've never worshiped out loud before tonight. Don't let the medium of a song put you into a box of what worship could be right now. As we take communion in a minute, this could be the most worshipful act you do all year. Saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for suffering for me, for winning for me. So I'm going to pray.
and then we're going to pass out all these elements when everyone has the elements we're going to partake in communion again but just remember when everyone thought God was losing God was winning let's pray God thank you for your grace the power of your word help us to trust you to stand on your truth thank you so much for the cross for demonstrating your love for us that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us God, if there's a person in this room who has not yet said yes to you, right now where they are, God, speak to their heart by the power of your spirit and let them say, God, forgive me. I've tried to do it on my own. I'm tired of running from you. I'm tired of hiding from you. I'm tired of avoiding you. I'm tired of figuring out this evil situation, this suffering stuff on my own. I need you. Help me. Forgive me. God, I know we pray those prayers. We say that. You do what only you can do. You save powerfully, permanently. You save Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for winning for us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. All right, team, if you could pass out the communion elements. Ben's going to play just here a little bit. Once everybody's served, we'll come back up, and we're going to partake in communion together. We also have three stations set up in the back if you just want to get up and grab it if you want to serve yourself or you're the impatient type don't act brand new I see some of y'all twitching but just please don't don't partake till everybody serve thank you
there anybody else who's still waiting to be served? All right, I think we're good. I'm going to read just from 1 Corinthians 11. I love sharing communion with people from the Apostle Paul's perspective just because he was giving these instructions to onechurch.tv, the church at Corinth, the messiest church in the history ever until we came along, right, and said, oh, we'll show you messy. I love it. So I love this perspective. Uh, They get it. He says here, starting in verse 23 of 11, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Pray with me. God, thank you for your body broken, bruised for us. By your stripes, we're healed. Thank you for embracing suffering instead of avoiding it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. God, thank you so much for your blood that forgives us, cleanses us, washes us of all wrongdoing. By your grace, it helps us to say yes to godliness. Thank you for it. Thank you that we didn't earn it. Thank you that you poured it out willfully to buy us back. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the cup. Stand with me. 